Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue, episode number 181. Today is Sunday, the 7th of February 2016, and this interview is with Chris Desi, founder and CEO of Silverback Social, based out of New York. He's also the founder of the Westchester Digital Summit and a frequent TV commentator and keynote speaker. In this conversation, we talk about Chris's inspirations and convictions, how C-suite executives should better manage their personal brand, social media KPI, as well as how films use social media and influencer marketing. A stimulating discussion. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So, welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Piped in on Skype on a snowy day, it seems, over in New York. Chris, tell us who you are, what you do, and, as I like to ask, what's your mindset? I am Chris Desi. I am the father of two little girls and husband to Laura, first and foremost. Uh, I also happen to be the founder and CEO of a digital marketing agency called Silverback Social. And my mindset is always positive, always looking for the positive, always seeking the positive. Um, that has been uh, a trained thing over the years. What's been the hardest part of staying positive? Do you think? I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm very much in a positive frame of mind. But what what's been the hardest part of staying positive? Do you think in these times? Quieting my monkey brain, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. End of discussion. Uh, the 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 way that I try to get there is through meditation. I leverage technology to help me in that meditation. Um, I have, what do you use? I have uh, apps that I use, um, and now, um, of course, uh, because because my monkey brain is running wild, I forget the name of the Headspace. app. Headspace. Headspace. It's it's in here somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, Something like Headspace. It's Headspace Mine. because I love his voice. Yeah, it's great. And he's a great business story as well. Uh, he does the whole thing on his own. However, I enjoy that it's for the listeners that it's small, digestible bits that you can gauge it at five minutes, ten minutes, and perhaps twenty minutes if need be, and that it approaches different parts of your life. So I've come to rely very heavily. On, uh, on meditation. Well, outside of the content being relevant for people in business, there's also, as you say, the business side of it, the user experience side of it, the notion that it's done in a way that we can consume it. Uh, you know, so if, we, if we're marketing people, there's a whole lot of resonance in that, right? Being mindful, being in the moment, being in a way that is delivered in an attractive UX, user experience and all that. And certainly. And also, you know, the way that they built the app, they thought about the end user, the way that, uh, you know, the, the digestible bits is absolutely thinking about how someone's going to consume it. And that's the way that you get a revolutionary idea across. You don't start in the weeds. You start, uh, you start approaching people from a visceral aspect, the sort of reptilian brain, fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're going to, if they're going to say, okay, five minutes is doable, I'll try it. Then you can lure people in and, right. and show them the benefit of what they're doing. Right. Open up Alibaba's cave. So, yes. all right, Silverback Social, you began that in 2012, as I understand it. 
So tell us a little bit about, you know, what inspired you to launch this in such a crazy, you know, busy marketplace all the same. And how do you craft a point of difference in that market? Sure. So I refer to myself as the reluctant entrepreneur. I was (laughs) terminated three times in two years when the economy was doing the mambo, um, which is, you know, if you're young and you have no, uh, you're not tethered to anything, that's fine. If you are uh, a bit older, like I was at the time, and you have a mortgage, and you have a wife, and you have children, and you have an identity that is attached to said jobs, when that happens three times in two years, that guts you. Mm. That guts you financially, Mm. that guts guts you psychologically, Mm. and that certainly guts you emotionally. Um, And I found myself at that definitive rock bottom, and I started working with a business partner because I swore to myself after it happened the third time that I wouldn't work for anybody else. After the business partner and I agreed to disagree, after two years, I then launched Silverback. And the, the reason why I launched Silverback that was definitively a social media agency is because in the midst of my terminating, getting ter- terminated three times in two years, I had been in digital since 2000. But in 2008, had seen somebody speak on social media, a gentleman by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't sure. know if you're listening to with him. So I saw Gary speak in 2008. I wrote him a letter saying I want to work for VaynerMedia. I met with him out in New Jersey. And then I got a job at Buddy Media. I introduced Gary to Mike Lazaro at Buddy Media. Um, and Gary incubated VaynerMedia in our offices at Buddy Media. Um, and Buddy was the last place that I was let go from, unfortunately. Um, although I was smart enough to uh, purchase my the uh, the one quarter vested equity, so I did get a little money after they were acquired by Salesforce. Um, but after that happened, just by seeing like Gary had inspired me, I saw the trajectory of what was happening in social. I saw him writing books and understood, you know, the sort of gospel of Gary, right? Mm-hmm. I saw the way Mike Lazaro worked. I saw the way Mike pivoted his business, Buddy Media, from selling apps to, to platforms on Facebook and realized that I was hopelessly in love with social media. I have a master's degree in direct marketing, realized that this was the ability to really touch a consumer and have a relationship with a consumer. And yeah, sure, it was crowded, but... I also live in Westchester in Chappaqua, New York, which is about 45 minutes north of the city. And I said, well, why don't I just have an office up here? I can go into the city for meetings and I'll be able to put my daughters on the bus in the morning and I'll have a better lifestyle. And, you know, it's been wonderful. It's got been a little bumpy now and then as all entrepreneurs experience. But, um, you know, I've followed sort of the quirky uh, it's, now it's become so bland to say, but sort of following your passion. I followed my passion. So, all right, between Gary V, Buddy Media, you you started up Silverback. What Silverback Social? What is it that? How do you stand out now? What is it that drives your point of difference? Because I mean, let's say that I come at come at it mostly from the the brand standpoint, hiring standpoint, yeah. and a lot of these relationships are tied up, historical legacy stuff. You're coming in. How do you come in and and rip out a, a legacy agency? What's your proposition? So for us, initially, I wanted to only work with enterprise clients like yourself. If you're consulting for L'Oreal, I was like, Mentor, we need to talk. Let's have this discussion. So what I did was I created an event. You mentioned that you have your own event. You speak at events. You consult at events. You run panels at events. I think events are very compelling. So I created the Westchester Digital Summit. And instead of having 
a Facebook expert come and speak. I had executives from Facebook come and speak to local businesses so that I would associate Silverback with expertise in digital and then potentially get those accounts. Now, what happened was we closed large accounts and we removed some of the incumbents and we got deals with, you know, legendary pictures and, uh, which was really exciting. But I realized that where my passion was and where I could really have a definitive differentiating factor was with mid to small size business. And here's why the proposal and the pitch and the differentiator for us as a digital marketing agency for mid to small size business is that, I am the owner of that business, that I have lived it right. because I started my blog in 2007 and by virtue of blogging for four years, I was quote unquote discovered by a produ- a television producer and then put on television to become the talking head on social media in the New York area, which eventually led to being on MSNBC and CNN and uh, CNBC and Fox Business. And when I can approach and sit with a decision maker a CEO and a founder, like when they're all in one, when that's one person and tell them my journey and articulate the zeitgeist of what Silverback is all about, that it's about building them as a personal brand, building their business as a social business, and then sort of putting them into that mix of personal brand identity plus their brand. That's where real magic happens for us. And I didn't even realize it, frankly, mentor. I, I, this didn't happen to my agency where I pivoted until a year ago. Like we were cl- like plodding along trying to compete with VaynerMedia. We can't compete with VaynerMedia. Sure. Gary has blown it out of the water. I mean, he's Gary. I'm not. I, you know, he inspired me. I'm, I have my superpowers, but he has his superpowers, certainly. So what I realized, I, I'd been, um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but it is important for the end to answer the question <laughs> properly. I was speaking, I was invited to speak to the Philadelphia Eagles. For huh. those of you internationally that don't know, it's an American well, football my, team. My NFL. family's from Philadelphia. My mom's, oh, okay. my mom's from Philadelphia, and I said, I'm go. a diehard Philadelphia Flyers fan. So Wonderful. you're speaking. Cool. So, you know, it was, it was cool. I'm in the stadium and I'm speaking to executives that purchased the suites at the Eagles Stadium, and I'm like, we're going to get so much business at Silverback. It's American Airlines. It's all these big brands. And when I stepped off stage... They knew Buddy Media. They knew about Gary. They 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 were like, "Oh, did you work with so?" Like we all kind of had the same people. I'm like, "Oh, they're ready to they're ready to work with us." But then they leaned in and they said, "Did you get paid today to speak?" It's like, "Yeah, I got paid." They said, "You know, I googled you and I noticed that you were on television a lot, talking about tech and social. How did you get on TV?" Okay, I noticed that you wrote a couple of books. Did you self-publish? Because I would really love to learn how to do that. And I would start pushing the conversation towards social. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, Salesforce handles social for, for the for the business. But I want to know, how do you do what you're doing right now? And because I'm not that bright, it took me a few years with Silverback to realize that that was our differentiator. That my journey of getting laid off being on television, blogging, mm. building my personal digital brand because I was following my big Italian nose and just trying to survive, frankly, right. is of tremendous value to small business owners who want to carve out a niche to a chiropractor that owns numerous different um, offices that's making 5 to $10 million a year. These guys are making a lot of money, sure. but they don't have a marketing team. 
and they want to write a book. They want to be on television and they want their business to become social because it's now finally in 2015, 2016, gosh, what year is it? 2016, now trickling down to mid to small size business where I was an enterprise sales guy for my entire career and I got intrigued by social media in 2007, 2008. And I was like, oh, everybody's doing social. You know, my first right. client was the NHL. It was the NHL, Michael Kors, Saks Fifth Avenue, TJX. Um, and when those brands, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the funnel. The big brands take it and adopt it. They start to hire certain agencies. Then they either build out their own internal teams or they spend $50,000 a month for, for you know, software as well as other consultants to come in. But then the mid-sized businesses start to do it. And the mid-sized businesses say, let's just go straight to building out a team instead of hiring an agency. Mm -hmm. And the small guys all these years have been like, I know I've got to do it. I know I've got to do it. And now it is just so immersed in our cultural culture when you see eight-year-old kids walking around with these beautiful computers in their pockets. And they say, now it's no longer a joke because three years ago, they hired – their niece or nephew right. to, tr- to do it. An and intern. It, did, it yeah. didn't work. Let yeah. the intern do it. And it didn't work. And they keep seeing all these success stories and they're saying, well, why didn't it work when the intern did it? And I said, well, the intern didn't have a master's degree in direct marketing and didn't understand that there, there are techniques and there's strategy and there's – so in a very long-winded way, it took me you know, two and a half years of a business that will be in business for four years this spring uh-huh. to figure out that it's about – that that one two punch of personal brand identity for the founder plus allowing the business to become social um, for us to find our secret sur- sauce as well, Silverback. So I, I I so love that, Chris. Here's why. Well, first of all, you know my 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 company's called Mindset, and I as sub my subline is branding gets personal, and I spend a lot of my time talking to larger clients. So let's call it these big corporations actually try to drive that story through. So actually what you're saying applies, of course, completely to the smaller company, the independent, the the founder, owner of smaller businesses. My belief is, though, somehow that needs to migrate into the mindsets of the older or the larger companies. And so I wanted to dissect one part of that, which is when you go into the smaller companies – how do you look at the difference between a smaller company that is run by the founder? I mean, let's say, you know, maybe it could be $50 million or $100 million, so smaller in that respect, or is run by a new CEO who has been hired in, a great gun, big gun from another corporation brought in to run it. So the difference being one is the founder and the other one is I would call a mercenary or at least a, a hired gun. How do you talk – how does that change the way you approach – Personal versus professional branding. So for me, my preference is to always work with the founder as opposed to a hired gun. Um, I used to have to pander to the hired guns. And frankly, because this is my agency, I don't anymore. Um, I'm a very emotional guy that used to deny that in the business world for years. And as a entrepreneur, the moment I've been able to allow myself to let that out. The most amazing, beautiful things have happened to my business and to my life. Mm -hmm. And that's only happening when I work with a founder that cares. So we've flipped the script. So we do work with senior executives that are incumbents and or part of a larger major organization for thought leadership. We will help them blog and help them become thought leaders and do all of that and 
that's when we'll, I'll, I'll take their money happily. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the really working and, and digging into the, the mid to small size business, I put them on a trial term with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we never sold to them and they started coming to us and I'm like, all right, let's figure it out. So what I do is I put them on a three month trial. And the reason being is because the founder is the only one that's going to dedicate time, effort, blood, sweat, tears mm-hmm. toward allowing their organization to become a social organization. And that doesn't just mean putting them on television and making them the figurehead. That also means bringing us in to train their salespeople on how to sell using social, to train their team on how to buoy everything that's happening within social when it comes from the brand corporate identity to say, listen, guys, we can help out this way. And sometimes I've seen it happen with, you know, an outsider coming in. Sure. But they tend to, you know, it's kind of like you can't get fired if you hire IBM. They'll hire VaynerMedia. They sure. won't hire Silverback Social. Right, I get that. So, so for us, that's my preference is to work with somebody that's got uh, definitive skin in the game or heart in the game. Because then when we start creating content for them, and the content is everything from video content to image, con- you know, photos to interviews, and we create, create quote cards, and it's hyperlapse video walkthroughs, and it's um, all sorts of neat stuff like that. If that doesn't feel authentic, especially in social, it always falls flat. Like there's never a time where I'm like, mm, maybe it'll work. No, always falls flat. And if there's not a, an organization that's ready to take that on and only work on the icing and not the cake, it, that it always falls flat again. So it needs to be like a full-on adoption for the organization. So presumably when you get your customer on, and especially if you have the chance to reject them, um, you, you presumably come back with like a promise for success because you have the right recipe because the chap or the woman who's running it is there. Well, it's so and it's so much fun, Minter, because they – Largely, these are very bright people. These are people that they understand the basic tenets of social media, but they can't articulate it properly. They know why it works. They get that they need to put their face on camera to tell their story, but they've not had time to do it. So for me, I'm almost... It's just joy because I come in, I'm almost as a therapist. You know, I'm kind of like, you now have permission to step away from your desk and tell me about your journey here because there's a whole audience that are desperate to hear that journey and you didn't know it, but that's why they do business with you to begin with and that's why they're going to continue to do business with you because of your heart and soul. Well, and presumably that also applies for the employees. 100% fully applies for the employees and that's, that's, the, that's the joy of it too. You know, we, we've done a lot of work with nonprofits. And we, for example, we worked with a company called Delete Blood Cancer. We no longer work with them. So this is not me like plugging my client, but we consulted for them. And they were trying to spin yarns about these really compelling stories. And uh, it's about bone marrow donation. And I said, well, you can't make it up. And what happened, I was in a meeting and there was a huge conference table. And I said, we just went around the room and introduced each other. And I know why these executives work here. I would say a solid 88% are work here because they were affected horribly by blood cancer, by not having a bone marrow donor and somebody dying. And one of the executives that we worked with, in fact, had quit his job on Wall Street to work at Delete Blood Cancer because his brother had blood cancer and he was a match for his brother. So he donated, but he realized that all these people were dying. So he quits his job on Wall Street. He's there. And while we're working with them, his brother passes away at 26 years old. So what did we do? We put the executives that work at Delete Blood Cancer on film to tell their story. Yeah. And then that becomes the content sure. on Facebook. 
And it's, and it, it, there's so many businesses out there that are sitting on these golden assets that they don't communicate. Right. So, so I, so I so get that Chris. And, uh, and yet I worked in a large organization and so like L'Oreal with lots of different brands and, and the majority of the brands, we don't have the luxury of having the founder for the rest of us, if you will. So yeah. what kind of, a, if you had, you know, um, a, a Chris Desi unplugged version with a, you know, one of these hired guns, how do you get them to have that mojo? What, what are the kinds of things that are, they can, you, what would you articulate to them to help them move into that space? So for me, and this is just my personal opinion, I think, I don't think, there are some executives, I know this, and like you hear from the guys in Shark Tank where they say, business is all dollars and cents. It's all P&L. It, nothing else matters. And I don't believe that. I, I believe that, a, that an organization needs to have a heart and soul. So if I were the hired gun, and I were swooping into a new brand in L'Oreal, and you're the CEO of that brand, I would spend a definitive amount of time to figure out what that heart and soul is, talking to the customers, figuring out what the user experience is, getting into the stores, touching, feeling, talking to the employees, figuring out what the culture is, figuring out what's made it successful and understanding that because these brands all have a soul. These brands all have something for them. And then maybe it's an opportunity to say, okay, now we're going to give back. We're going to have, you know, this brand is hugely successful from a corporate standpoint, but let's give back. Let's add, let's give some heart and soul to what's happening within the organization. And I think every brand should have that, no matter what you sell, mm-hmm. no matter what you do. I don't think it's all about the PL. I don't think it's all about the money. Now, listen, we're in this to make money. We're in this to, to be marketers, to, to, to figure out the human condition and how do we, you know, from our perspective, from L'Oreal's perspective, they're, they're saying we're enhancing our customers' lives, right? We're making them feel beautiful, look beautiful, have a better life, you know, interact with their friends and family because they feel more confident because of all these different things. Figuring that out and then being able to, to tell that story is the most compelling exercise, I think. Mm. So I love that. Hopefully um, people who are in that situation can take uh, take positive notions out of that. So one of the things you said uh, in numerous times you've been around on video and so on and on TV, you said social media isn't a part of the marketing funnel. It surrounds the entire funnel. And uh, if we were to take Gary on board, he would tell us about the ROI and his mother, right? <laughs> <You're telling laughs> the ROI of your mom. Uh, so right. <laughs> can you elaborate and more importantly explain how one best measures the performance in a surround side concept? Because at the end of the day, we still need to pay the piper. So, and, and you know, if, if traditional marketing has always been about, you know, getting me the eyeballs and getting me the dollar at the end of the sign, how does one measure a surround sound? <laughs> so... I wouldn't be here if I wasn't held accountable to KPIs. We all have to there. And, but I think there's a danger of being held accountable to vanity numbers, like how many likes there are on Facebook or uh, how many followers you have on Twitter. I think it's really dangerous. And frankly, I've fallen prey to it. I, I purchased at one point in my career, I bought Twitter followers and then I felt so horribly, morbidly guilty about it. I wrote a blog post and confessed, and I can't believe I brought, bought Twitter followers and ended up on TV talking about it. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did this. Um, but I do think that you can figure out what those KPIs will be when you start engaging within social by creating unique content. So, for example, would I, this is going to be long-winded, and I apologize again. 
The reason why my agency is called Silverback Social is because there is a selective attention psychological test in the late 90s that was given to given to students. And there were three individuals in white shirts, three individuals in black shirts. They're passing a basketball amongst themselves. And some of your listeners may have oh, yeah. seen this exam, right? And the, the, the person that's watching is supposed to count how many times the basketball gets passed at the end of a certain period of time. At the end, they say, how many times was it passed between the people in the white shirts, just the people in the white shirts? They give their answer and they say, by the way, did you see the gorilla? And they're like, whoop, and they rewind and they look at the people passing the ball, but somebody passes through wearing a gorilla suit. The reason why it's called Silverback Social is basically because of the Silverback Gorilla, because I think KPIs and performance for social is right underneath the nose of our C-level executives and our chief marketing officers. But because they're not trained to look for what that KPI is in social, it has not become a KPI for them in their organization. So I push back and I say, what you think is a KPI is not a KPI. That if you have a compelling, useful conversation based on unique content that you generate and you ask a question in the comments and you get a conversation going in the comments and your users tell you what they're looking for, boom, that's a KPI that you would have never conceived of six months ago when you were putting together your marketing plan, but has been defined by virtue of your just engaging within the social ecosystem. And that is hard. That is hard to sell to within organizations. Yep. That is hard for people to say, I've got to stroke all those checks Within an organization, that is hard to tell executives, I've got to wait six months, a year, two years, three years within organizations. However, my job has become much easier because it's now 2016 and many people have been doing social since 2010 and they're starting to see different results. And they're saying, we started three years ago and we're just now seeing traction because of this, that, and the other thing. So the KPIs vary across the board. You can have a definitive conversion event but you've got to be aware of that conversion event within the different ecosystems. So, for example, if you have a crowd that skews older and you have a landing page on Facebook that has a contest, put a phone number. Normally, people wouldn't put a phone number. I hate when people call me. I cringe when I get a phone call. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pick the phone call. Like, like, just text me. You know, I'll text you right back or send me an email. But if you have an older crowd, put a phone number. If you get phone calls, then that's the conversion event that, that you can say, all right, that's your KPI. It varies across everything and it's become so amorphous and the executives that pout and say this isn't the way it used to be and that this isn't meeting my KPIs are losing. Or like, you know, five right. years ago when I would when I would go on TV and talk about they're gonna lose, they're gone. They they've gone out of business because they were not paying attention to the idea that it is perhaps at the first step a branding exercise, and then in the next step you define the KPIs as you go. All right, so when you're dealing with your customers, I mean, hopefully they're all these perfect, well, I mean, not perfect, but, you know, the ones that are the founders and all that, but in reality, there are many others. Uh, but in general, how do you, with your customers, what do you see the biggest pain points in driving the social media agenda? What are the things that are the biggest blockages for making it happen? Uh, there are a lot of blockages. I will start from the big guys, like the guys that are paying us, you know, 25 to 35 grand a month, the, you know, the legendary pictures, the movie studios, those types of guys. The biggest pain point is that there are too many hands in the pot and mm -hmm. not a definitive strategy because there have yet, there has yet to, it's just like the ROI conversation, right? Like I just gave you one answer. I guarantee you, you asked 30 people that are in digital, they give you 30 different answers about KPIs, but they're probably all right. And they probably all have an experience that can point to that answer. Mm -hmm. And I think for the bigger companies, that becomes the biggest problem for social is 
there are different strategies, different agendas, and different intent for social media for every single organization, right? So a movie studio might want people to go see the movie, but by virtue of doing by doing social for a movie, that's not necessarily going to happen through social, but it's brand equity, it's communication with the consumer that's going to the movie, it's feedback about the type of films that they should be making as legendary pictures. People comment and tell them, we want more of this, we want more of that. So it's data, it's feedback, it's it's focus groups on steroids through digital. So that's from the big part. The medium size guys, this is a huge problem, um, is finding the right talent when they hire internal teams because I've seen it with mid-sized agencies. We've been through it where we've, we've worked with uh, nonprofits like the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We worked with them for two years. It was a wonderful relationship. And when we stopped working with them, I helped them hire their director of social media. And they had a definitive training training process with us, and they had three new executives internally. Great, and then they go about and they they do it, and then things fall apart because the agency doesn't isn't coming from an outside perspective. So it's very difficult to have executives internally at a mid sized organization that are executing on social media appropriately. That are look because when you're in a mid sized organization and you're getting sold about all the different tools, when people are coming to you and saying. You need to spend $14,000 on HubSpot and you need to be doing data analytics through Radiant 6 and all that stuff. They get overwhelmed. They start taking all those meetings and they lose sight of what their job, what their description is as a medium-sized business. And for the small guys, I mean, the, the problem, is, what we're seeing is that they've tried it, but it's always at, like I alluded to earlier, it's an intern or it's their least qualified uh, employee that's that's doing social for them, mm-hmm. or they hire somebody that you know is charging them five hundred dollars a month, and basically you know they're sitting on their bed posting an Instagram picture once a week, and they're saying they're doing social. So there's no strategy, there's no marketing, there's no um, there, there's no they don't define a voice for the organization. There's no custom creative. There's no co- content calendaring or understanding in that regard. So from my perspective, those are the three levels of the biggest issues that I see. That's cool. I want to dive into one last zone uh, based on what you just talked about, which is films. So uh, you're, uh, I'm uh, running a film studio and I have all these films. How does one make uh, a successful social media campaign for a film? And because I'm in my mind for people who are listening now, right, there's the film studio or there's the, the, the distributors, there are the actors, there are all sorts of different people. Maybe it's a... Uh, a franchise type of movie. Uh, we have all the merchandising components. It, it, it's. I was wondering. I mean, how how does one make a successful film in, amongst the others? You know that you're running. So there are different tactics and tricks that we use in order to work with media to gain the attention of anyone, whether it be a film, whether it be an individual, whether it be an author. We work a lot with authors. Um, to help them sell their books, to help get to help them get on stage to speak and to have that conversation, the, uh, the the manner in which media functions now is very different than the way media functioned ten years ago. Um, which is why many PR firms you'll notice are offering social media. They've, they've kind of morphed into social media firms, but we found that sort of guerrilla marketing tactics for small films work exceptionally well when you put them in the appropriate hands of influencers. And the influencers are usually bloggers and reviewers of those films. And if you can craft your story with a very small soundbite and preemptively create the story that you want to see, and this is a little bit like I roll my eyes over this one a bit. Um, Many of the bloggers, I love bloggers, I blog, tend to be a bit lazy. 
So if I preemptively package something for them and I say, this is my customer, here's a one minute video and it's a highlight reel or it's a feature and it's got a little sizzle to it. And I do a 500 to maybe 650 page write up with the appropriate links for what I'm no, you meant, you meant a 500-word write-up, not 600-page. Word, sorry, yeah. <laughs> that was a book. <laughs> Here's a book. Yeah, yeah. sorry, 500-word write-up, but like in, get in that sort of paragraph wheelhouse. Yeah. And I hand it to them. You'd be surprised how many times bloggers will just repost that content. And if you seed it to the appropriate bloggers that are feeding up to the media chain, meaning if you know that more influential bloggers might read these cool, trendy, hip, outlier blogs that are talking about a specific niche type of film and you see the bottom level of it, it feeds up. And then once you start seeding those guys and those guys start tweeting about it, it feeds up to the major news outlets. I think it was in, um, Ryan Holiday wrote a book, uh, called trust me online. Mm -hmm. And that would be really compelling for you to, to, for you to take a look at. Uh, the media has changed a bit since he wrote the book. However, he talks about, um, Katie Couric. Uh, being on uh, Good Morning America and how she s sort of sources some of her stories. And she said she sources them from Twitter. But if you look at her Twitter account, you notice that she only follows a, a finite number of people. So Ryan's point was, if I can get my story in front of those people, mm -hmm. it may potentially get in front of Katie Couric sure. and I might put my client on Good Morning America. So it's the idea that the people, that the, the tastemakers are paying attention to social and if you can become part of that conversation where they're going, it becomes hugely powerful. So, And I'm starting to see this with uh, only recently. I've been lucky enough to uh, get a column on Inc.com. Mm -hmm. And it's really it's fascinating the amount of traffic that happens. And when I start writing about certain topics and certain things, I've been getting inundated with people saying, oh, I'd love for you to talk about this and that the other. And I'm like, okay, people mm -hmm. have figured this out. They know that it's not. They know that you're them. the media. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when we uh, the influencer marketing is awfully interesting and yeah. it's becoming much more sophisticated. I wanted to just poke one in one in the idea of you've you got these bloggers, five hundred word articles and a minute long film. To what extent should you be trying to provide exclusive content? And the reason for that being, if you're a blogger, you know what duplicate content means. Mm -hmm. So do do you need to seed exclusive material to each of these bloggers or not? Yes. Yes. And, and it takes a lot of hard work. Yeah. And that's why not a lot of people do it. <laughs> it's, it's sweat equity, right? So if you have an exclusive and you offer an exclusive to what you deem as perhaps a highly cerebral, introspective, uh, somebody that has their own voice that you read as a filmmaker, you right. read their blog yeah. and you say, I have reverence for you. I, I have, you know, I, I look you in the eye and I say, I, I watch everything that you blog about. I, our opinions are the same. And you reach out to that person and say, I would like to give you an exclusive and here's what it would look like. That's where it starts. That's, mm -hmm. that's that inflection point. Because if you get that person that you love, respect, and admire as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. chances are there are other filmmakers out there that love, respect, and admire him. And chances are there are other people that are in the media ecosystem of what you're attempting to do that would be reading that content and then up the food chain it goes well in that case typically that kind of an individual writes their own material because they wouldn't get that kind of notoriety unless they were the ones crafting with their words their opinion 
you can sniff it out, right? You know it. I mean, this is like this is why the, with the ink column, I'm shocked. People reach out to me. They're saying we'll write your columns for you. I'm like, that would be against the contract that I signed with Ink.com. Why you're literally putting this in writing, reaching out to me? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But it is, and the influencer marketing. I mean, we've done this. We've done influencer marketing through social for energy companies, where we've gotten this guy Brody Smith that does frisbee trick shots. To do a frisbee trick shot with a Brooklyn Nets shirt on because Blue Rock Energy powers uh, powers the Brooklyn Nets stadium, and he does the trick shot and he turns around and he, and he goes power up, which is their which is their tagline, and it's a six second Vine video, but it's looped almost two million times. That's hugely affecting for 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 a, you know a, an, an energy, energy company, company that's based up in Syracuse, New York, to for a brand exercise mm. to get in front of a different audience mm. to to show them that they're cool and they're hip and they're they're energetic and, mm. and, and power up is their tagline. Um, I get a kick out of doing that stuff. I really enjoy doing. The, we, we refer to it as growth hacking. <laughs> well, I think a lot of companies, whether you know whether small or big. Uh, need to get more into influencer marketing is something I'm tracking and just looking. I'm interested to see how different, you know, different uh, pathways that people are using to try and get to influencers, and then how do they how do how do they relate with them? Are they going to be short term or long term, and all this other stuff? So listen, Chris, time is what it is. It's um, Friday afternoon chez toi, and it's uh, Friday evening for me over here. Um, I need to just close it out. And well, I'm going to ask you one thing. Does Twitter continue or not? It does, uh, but I'm very concerned about their leadership. Mm. And I've said this on national television, and I've probably gotten myself. I always say I'm not a verified Twitter account holder, and it's probably because of what I said <laughs> on CNN. <laughs> um, I get concerned that the CEO is splitting time between Jack, Square and Dorsey, Twitter. Yeah. And I have friends on Wall Street where, um, you know, there was a gentleman that I was talking when I, I went on CNBC a couple of years ago and we went head to head and I'm, I've, I've remained bullish on Twitter and I'm bullish on Facebook. And this guy said, Twitter's a one trick pony. And we just went at it and we were fighting. And then offline, we had a conversation. He said, there are very simple things that Twitter can do to placate Wall Street, to insert executives within their organization where it would really help their stock. There is a place for Twitter. Twitter is, frankly, my social media platform of choice. Mm -hmm. I love being on Twitter. I like getting news there. I like sharing information. For me, it's my it's my business pipeline. It is where I network with individuals such as yourself. It's how I um, it's how I share the information that I'm putting out mm -hmm. as a content producer, as a marketer, as a CEO. And I do think that there will be a bright future for them. Um, I just think that they have a couple of management things that they need to tweak. I was a little worried recently when I heard that they had some cultural issues where um, some of their higher up level executives were resigning. Um, and that can be a very big problem. But I just go by the litmus test. If I still find it useful and my my cronies that I hang out with when I go to conferences and everybody's still leveraging Twitter, then I think it's good. It's, it's become part of the, our cultural vernacular. Hashtags are commonplace. Um, it works for the business community. It works for the business ecosystem. You know, if I'm talking to my wife, she doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about. But when I, if I meet somebody and I don't have my business card and I say, what's your Twitter handle? And they say, what's your Twitter handle? That's done. So mm -hmm. that's effective. And I think that that, that that bodes well for Twitter in the future. Well, it just remains to be seen if they remain independent, I guess. Well, you know, and I, the line that I used was so cheesy, but I do, I said, Twitter's going to find success at the corner of Periscope and Vine. Um, if they can, if they can, you know, really leverage what they're doing with Periscope and what they're doing with Vine and, 
and, and make it an appropriate brand offering for big brands to spend advertising dollars within Periscope, I think it's a good thing. And Periscope is doing some interesting stuff where, you know, you can now Periscope by using your GoPro camera. Mm. Um, there are per- Periscope ecosystems and conferences that are popping up and we use it for our clients often. And I think if those three are used, utilized appropriately, Twitter is going in the right direction. Well, they certainly kicked Meerkat's bum, didn't they? Poor Meerkat. Yeah. You got a feel for them, hey. don't you? Yeah. One, you know, they come, they go. So, yeah. Chris, what's the best way for someone to track you down or follow you? What's the favorite way to connect with you? Sure. Well, we were just talking Twitter, so let's start there. Mm-hmm. At Chris Desi. Um, and pretty simply, if you just Google Chris Desi, you'll find everything. <laughs> my my website is chrisdesi.com. That's my blog and or christopherdesi.com. Uh, my Instagram is at Chris Desi. The Twitter is at Chris Desi. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. I would say silverbacksocial.com, but... That's too much to type in. If you just look for Chris Desi, you'll find everything. Super. You'll find the books. You'll find the whole the whole Megillah. Excellent. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for making it happen despite the snow. Oh, Go back so and enjoy me. your family, your two daughters and your wife, and uh, be in touch. Thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.